0: Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. personally, and, and I just can get amped up when it's time to go. You know what I mean? I'm like ready, like hold my purse, hold my earrings, like I'm in, you know? And that's kind of, that's like me. But if you knew me 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that was not the case. I was in high school. Oh my goodness. I was such a wimpy little person. Like I didn't know how to stand up for anything. I honestly would run from the fight. The fight was like my greatest fear. I'm using this very generally. But basically anything that demanded something from me, anything that asked me to step up into strength, to step up into courage, to step up into competition, you know, I would run. Fight or flight, flight. 100%. Like 100%. If I could live in a delusional world where I just thought everything was perfect and everyone got along and no one had conflict and just the sun always shined, like I would do that in a heartbeat if it wasn't so like against like what God's called us to be as believers. I would love be amazing. I don't want conflict. Let's just have peace, good times, you know. I don't like the fight. I'll tell you, my whole family is very athletic. And uh, (laughs) someone laughed over there because they know me. Um, My whole family is very athletic. And when I was in school, I really tried to like keep that up. I tried. I really, I really tried, mom. Um, And I remember so many sports, like so many sports. I remember in middle school, I went to a small school my whole life, okay? So you kind of, everyone does everything. So in middle school, I played basketball. (laughs) It was great. And uh, my mom was the coach, my poor mother. And she basically, I remember I would give my everything in practices. I would be on the court, like sweating it out, like running the laps. I mean, barely, because I wasn't good, but I would be there. I would show up, okay? The game would come, and all of a sudden, that pressure of competition and having to show up and rise to something and be enough for the people around me and I would be almost in tears mom please can I just not play the game someone else I know someone else wants to go on the court can I just sit on the bench like I was like pleading to be on the bench it's so wrong now but that was me okay that's who I was pleading could I please just be on the bench I hated the fight and so now I'm talking about this series take it by force and it comes from Matthew chapter 11 verse 12 There it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Pastor talked a few weeks ago when he was starting the series. He told us what the kingdom of heaven was really about. So if we're going to take something by force, what are we taking? What are we taking by force? He told us the kingdom of heaven is power for your purpose. It's strength for your suffering. It's miracle for your mess. And when we're talking about taking it by force, what we're talking about is people who will stand up and intentionally go after what the kingdom of heaven is, bringing it to earth and saying that power, that purpose, that miracle is meant for me here, now, today. It's an idea of grabbing hold of what God has promised and bringing it here to the present. So we are called to be people who take it by force. I never liked fights. I didn't like being, I don't want to be known as like the fighter. I mean, now, like now, now I'm there, okay? But I wasn't. And this wasn't naturally in me. I'll tell you, I was looking through this this whole scripture and I was just cracking up because it's all centered around John the Baptist. Basically, Jesus has had this conversation with John the Baptist's disciples. And that's the moment where he takes us into this charge that the violent take it by force. And he's talking about John the Baptist. Now, I could never relate to John the Baptist very well. Some of y'all, John the Baptist is your superhero. You know, he lives in the wilderness. He eats locusts. He wears camel skin. Like, he is fierce. He is tough. He is wild. He's bold. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. He's, like, talking about things that you weren't supposed to talk about back then. He's calling out repentance and against sin. He's saying there should be fruit in your life. And he's paving the way for the Messiah, this man from the wilderness wilderness. And I could just not ever really relate to that. To me, I was like, "Mm, you know, I'm in velvet shoes. Like I can't relate to a man coming out of the wilderness wearing camel hair. I would just be reading a scripture. I'm like, yeah, that's nice. Just kind of brushing over. But I think I was missing the value of this story. And so I want to take you in a little more behind the scenes on what this conversation between Jesus and John really was. When Jesus is declaring someone has taken the kingdom of heaven by force, what is he really saying? You see, it had been 700 silent years before Jesus came on the scene. God's people used to have prophets. They used to have people who would stand and give them the word of God and tell them what he was speaking. And the last prophet, if you read the last verse of the Old Testament, it talks about there will be an Elijah to come to prepare the way. And then it goes silent for hundreds of years goes totally silent. And the people of God get in this rhythm and they get used to no longer hearing a word or hearing a voice. They're just kind of on their own now. And then out of the wilderness, you know, we know the, we know the um, nativity story, but they didn't know it yet. It didn't mean anything to them at the moment. The first word they hear is out of the wilderness. This man who kicks at society, The norms, what he should be and should do and who he should be. And he calls out for a repentance, a turning from God's people saying, you have not lived according to his law. You have not lived what he has called out. But if you'll turn and allow that repentance to bring fruit in your life, he says, there is one coming behind me. There is a Messiah coming who's gonna change it all. And he begins to pave the way. He's a prophet crying out, where they hadn't had a voice in hundreds of years, and he begins to declare, prepare the way. Prepare the way the Messiah is coming. Prepare the way the Messiah is coming. Now, I don't know about you. I may not relate much to his wilderness days. I may not relate much to his camel hair, but I can relate to that force within him that wants to stand up and declare who Jesus is and what he will bring and what he will usher in. I can relate to wanting to live for that. I can relate to that. But I'll tell you, we find John not in that place. We find John in prison in this part. You see, he declared the way he baptized Jesus. The Bible says that he knew in that moment, yes, for sure, Jesus is the Messiah. It says there's a Greek phrase that says, I know with certainty that you are the one. And in that place, actually right after that baptism, John actually gets arrested and thrown into prison. And he's been in prison for almost two years when we pick up this section. Now, if there's anything I can relate to, I can relate to John, weary in prison. And can you just picture this man who wasn't contained, wasn't confined, lived how the spirit of God led him. And he's been in prison for two years, really for no crime, really just out of prejudice. And he's in prison and he's just sitting there. His whole purpose was declaring that Jesus was coming. And of course, we know reading the scripture, he fulfilled it. But did he know? Did he just get thrown out of the picture with no real understanding of what was going on? What was happening? Did Jesus make it? Is he taking over? Is he a king who was really coming? He's just sitting in his prison cell wondering, did it count? Was it worth it? Did all that I do matter? Did I accomplish what I was supposed to accomplish? I can relate to that. Have you ever thought, God, I stepped out, but it didn't work? God, I prayed for that person like you told me to pray for them, but they didn't get healed. I knocked on that neighbor's door, but they didn't want to hear about you. They didn't want my cookies that I tried to bring to be hospitable. I tried to mend that relationship, but they didn't want the forgiveness. Have you ever been in that place like, God, I'm trying to do what you've put in front of me. I'm trying to get into the fight, but but is it really worth it? And this is where we find John. And the Bible says that he actually sends his own disciples, because John had his own crew running with him, taking care of him while he was in prison. It says John heard about the deeds that Jesus was doing. And he sends his own crew to go down and ask Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the one? Or is there another one coming? And I don't think he's really asking, Jesus, are you the Messiah? I think what he's asking is, did I pave the way? Did I pave the way for the right one? or did I miss it completely? Did my life count? Did it matter? And I love Jesus's response, because remember, John preached a gospel of repentance that produced fruit in our life, and what is Jesus's response? Because Jesus knows us, he knows our hearts, and his response is a list of the fruit in his own life. He's not just trying to prove to John, like, yeah, did you notice like the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the, the imprisoned are free. Did you not notice this? It's not that kind of a talk with John. What he's doing is he's saying, you're right. What mattered was what I produced out of my life. And he says, your, your, your message was right, John. You preached the right thing, that you had to turn, and then there was something to be produced from your life when you turned. Fruit comes from repentance and so in Jesus listing out the own fruit of his life he's saying John John you were right and he begins to validate John I love this so much and then I love how he ends his list of fruit and this is just a tiny little key here in this verse in verse 7 it says as John's disciples were leaving Jesus began to speak to the crowd And I love this because I picture Jesus and he's out in some fields and he's talking with this group of people. John's disciples come up and they have this conversation. And then afterwards, John's disciples are starting to walk away. But how many of you know, like if I try to step off this and someone starts talking about me right here, I'm gonna hear him for a while. Like I'm gonna be hearing the conversation as I exit. And I believe that as Jesus begins to declare the validity of who John was, the fact that he was a prophet, he did speak truth, it was God's voice that he was speaking And as he declares those words that in the days of John the Baptist, in the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom has suffered much violence, but the violent take it by force. He is laying the validity on John's life. And I believe that those disciples, as they walk away, they hear this and they walk away with a story, a message to tell John, but it doesn't end there. Before the conversation ends in Matthew chapter 11, tucked quietly into a passage we all know and love, Jesus gives us the keys to being like John, to being like those who will take it by force. I love this verse, and it's not gonna be what you expect, but John 11:28 28 through 30, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I always heard this, and for me, this was my out. This was my way to like keep out of the fight. This was my excuse to not step up, you know? And, and I believe that the salvation work is done by Jesus alone. I can't work, I can't earn it, that is all true. But I use it as my out of like everything else happens as I just rest in the Lord, you know? Now, okay, I think that there's truth to that, and we're going to get into that. But I think what's, what we often miss in this verse is an actual series of commands that leads to the rest that we find in Jesus. And a lot of times we as believers just kind of, let me step into the rest, Lord. And he's like, I gave you instructions. Like there's instructions in here before you get to the rest. So we're going to look at those instructions. First, in Matthew 11, he says, come to me. First instruction is to come. This is an interjection. It's like with an exclamation point at the end saying, come now. It's an invitation. It's a call to us saying, come to me. Not a casual come. Not a slow ambling towards something that might be interesting. But a running towards something that is life or death. A running towards someone who can offer what I cannot have on my own. He says, come after me. And I love this. He puts the ball in our court. It doesn't become, I'm gonna force you to have my presence and I'm gonna force you to be with me. He says, the salvation is yours. That is freely given. It's all yours already, but there's another place to come to. There's another thing to step into. And he says, now come to me. He's not talking about a one-time coming. He's not talking simply about salvation moment, but he's talking about a come and stay, a come and sit, a come and be with me. He says to come. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. It says, The man who would truly know God must give time to him. And if you're asking, well, how do I come? It's as simple as this spend time. This is an invitation to time with the Lord. How do I do that? We know it here. And if you come to Connect Class 101, you'll hear more about it. But we know it here. We pray, we get in the word. We worship and we get around God's people. This is how we come to the Lord. It sounds really simple in theory, right? We're like, yes, we worship and we pray and we get with the, mm -hmm, yes, I, I know this. But the truth is, is in the moment of chaos, in the moment of weariness, in the moment of confusion or anxiety or the panic attack rising, is that where I truly turn? Do I really come? Because we're looking at this in the perspective of the fight when I'm ready to step into the fight. So what that means is when the fight is coming at me, when it's time to take something by force, do I come? Because it's easy to come when I feel great. It's easy to come when my coffee's already kicked in and my boss said good things about me this morning and my kids were obeying and they're all in line and my hubby did the dishes. Now I can come to the Lord. But can I come when the dishes are stacked up, when I'm running late for work, when my boss has a project due that I don't know how I'm going to make it, when it doesn't feel like the goosebumps, when the Bethel worship song just didn't do it for me this time, can I still come to Jesus? Can I still come to him? I'm telling you, there is nothing I love more than the presence of God. And I'm not talking about goosebumps and good feelings and walking away feeling like, oh, I was moved. I'm talking about getting in and facing God, looking at him, looking in the word and grasping something that I could carry through my day, through my week, something that will stand me through what I need to face. I love in Psalm 73, I shared this with our Wiley crew last week. In Psalm 73, David is struggling with this question of why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? And he's struggling with this question, not understanding the answer. But I love it in Psalm 73. It says, then I entered the sanctuary of the Lord and I understood. That's the truth. If I can just get myself before Jesus, if I can just get into a place of worship, maybe I just need to put on an old school song. That song you sang when you first got saved, maybe that's just what you need to put on. Maybe just let that run a few times and just get before the Lord because he will bring the clarity. He'll bring the perspective. He'll bring the understanding. The problem is many of us want to stay here, but there's more in his command to us than just come. Once we come to the Lord, then he asks us to take. Take. This means to get into one's hold or possession by voluntary action. It means it's on me. I think a lot of times we want to like, I'm going to come to the Lord and then all the good things are just going to pile up. Then it's all going to be smooth sailing from there. At our internship graduation on Monday, I love someone was talking about Um, I think it was a quote I read from one of our interns writing their final, and they were saying, I realize that it's not an escalator that just leads me to somewhere I never meant to be, but it takes intentional steps. And I think that that's what this is. It's an idea of voluntarily stepping up and saying, God, I'll take it. It's actually a picture to take upon oneself and carry what has been raised. Isn't that a picture? I love that because you know what? That encourages me because Jesus did that first. He walked up, beaten, bruised, and bloody to that cross that was laying there for him. And he sat down under it. And raised it up and began to carry it. He himself decided to take first. And because he took, now I can step up with grace to take what I need to take. And I love that. He always has gone before me. He's always done it before me. This picture of taking the yoke up. I used to be kind of bothered by this. And maybe you've heard the illustrations about the yoke and what it means. But I'll go over it in case you haven't. It's an idea of submission. It's the yoke that um, like a farmer would put on a pair of oxen. So he'll take an ox and an ox, oxen, right? He takes oxen and he puts this kind of bar-fitting bow around their necks so that now they have to walk in pace with each other. They can't move separate from one another. So now they're going to plow. They're going to pull. They're going to carry heavy weight. They're going to do the work of the field, but they're like unable to really separate or move and I guess I got the picture of this but I always wondered how can that really be my yoke is easy and my burden is light that does not sound easy and light to me at all but I love this picture because it's a true picture of the submission that God wants in our lives to him which I think is really the key in taking is it's taking steps of obedience It's this idea of stepping into submission, of about to raise up what God has called me to on my own shoulders, but he gives us a picture that we're not alone, we're yoked with him in this. And then to top it off, are you ready for this? There's actually two kinds of yokes, and I don't wanna mess it up, I'm gonna look here. There's the stationary yoke, and that's the one I always picture, the one that you can't move, you're bound to the other ox, no matter what you do. But they actually say this is only good for hauling short distances, that uh, the oxen can't go a long ways or carry super heavy burdens for a long ways with this, like, stationary yoke that keeps them bound to each other. And so there's a second kind of yoke, and it's called a sliding yoke. And this yoke actually has bolts and nuts in it. And so even though I'm linked up with the ox next to me, I have my own freedom of movement. I actually can turn my head and look and move and worm around in my own individuality, in my own freedom, but you know what? We can go farther. It's the long haul yoke. And I think there's a lot of Christians standing up in religion, standing up in obligation, standing up in rules, and that's that yoke that just seems heavy and oppressive, and they can't go very far. But Jesus said, that's not the yoke I meant to give you. I meant to give you a yoke that would be easy and light to carry, a yoke that allows freedom and movement where you can be an individual. And he says, that's the yoke that we will carry together and we'll walk step by step together. I love this idea of taking up the yoke. Another interesting thing about the ox is that they actually don't use reins for oxen like you would for a horse, where they'd have a bridle in their mouth and a rein going behind them. Now the master has full control and can yank and pull, and you just hope your master is kind. You hope the horse's master is good so they don't hurt him. But actually, with oxen, it's traditional that everything is voice command. Is that not cool? They're not led by a strike or a pull or a tug, they're led by a voice. And that is a perfect picture of how our father God leads us. As we're yoked up with his son in the work that he puts in front of us, he leads us with the kind, loving voice of a father. This is the picture of taking it up. So, practically, what does that look like? It means to be obedient. It means to take the step in front of me. And so, for some of us, immediately when I said that, you're thinking of something God has just been putting on your heart. You're thinking of that neighbor you needed to reach out to. You're thinking of that situation and how to handle it. You're thinking about that step for your future. But some of us were like, what does that mean? How do I start? And I would just say get in the word. Just find what's already in the word. Start with those commands. There's simple commands like love your neighbor. There's simple commands like keep no record of wrong. How many of us could use that in our marriages? We need to take those steps of obedience. Just start with the word. So we come, we take And as we voluntarily take up the yoke and begin to live a life of obedience, we're invited into one further step, and that is to learn. And it's an interesting one. You'd think take would be the last one because, you know, take it by force. But I believe this is the most crucial one because what this is is it's an invitation that Jesus gives us to begin to be an apprentice of his It's the same invitation he gave his disciples when he called the 12 and said, come and learn from me. Come walk beside me. It is not simply learning like knowledge, not simply taking copious notes and hoping it sticks. It's acquiring skill or knowledge by use or practice. It means everything he's teaching me, I'm doing. Everything I see in him, I'm doing. As I step, I've come and now I'm taking the yoke up and I'm deciding it's time to obey. And now as I walk, he walks. With me, and I learn from him, and my steps look like his steps. I'm not doing my own thing my own way, I am doing what I see Jesus doing. This is learning on the job training, the most powerful kind. You look at corporations all across America. I was doing some research on apprenticeships, and they're saying it's a whole new trend sweeping back in again because it's the most powerful training you can give your future employees, that they find the most loyalty comes from those who have trained next to their counterparts. Isn't that interesting? It's really cool. Apprenticeship is powerful. I love this. I think what this is, if you're looking at practically, is it's a call to produce fruit in our lives. So we know that we've been called to come and spend time. We know that we've been called to take and be obedient. And we know that we've been called to learn and produce fruit because that's what Jesus did. When John asked, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one? What does he say? He says, my life speaks for itself. He says, the blind see, the deaf hear." Those who are in captivity are released, he says, see the fruit, not because the fruit matters over relationship, not because of all the things popping in your head right now, but because the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. That I could see my brother or sister who needs clothes, and if I say, man, I hope you get clothes, I hope you find what you need, I hope you get a meal and walk off, I have not done my duty. I have not lived my Christian walk. I have not been who Jesus would be. The faith, what God has done in us has to translate into action in our lives. Do what you see Jesus do. Dig into the word. Grab a hold of who Jesus is. What did he do? How did he love? How did he see people? How did he interact with kindness instead of judgment? How did he respond to the loved ones in his life? How did he do it? How did he do it? This is what I truly need. I think a simple place to start is just the fruit of the Spirit, which we overlook so often because we're looking at the miracles. But I think a good place to start is the simple fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, things I pray for on a literally daily basis as I interact with people. Literally, Jesus is saying, go after this in your life. Go after love. Go after joy. Go after patience and peace. Go after um, (laughs) discipline. Go after self-discipline. Go after these things in your life. I can't help but think of another verse that actually parallels this when we're talking about come take and learn. And it's another familiar verse, but I think it just paints a full picture of what we're talking about today. In Luke nine twenty three through 24, it says that Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I believe that word follow, it's a, it's a good translation into what we're looking at with learn. It's this idea of coming alongside and stepping with Jesus as he steps. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But then he gives us another key in both of these scriptures. One that I don't want to miss. Because see, the reason I hated the fight, the reason I never wanted to step up and I was scared of competition and the pressure and the weight that it would bring was is because I always thought I had to fight for my own life. I thought I had to fight for my comfort. I thought I was trying to fight and the responsibility was on me. I thought I had to prove myself. I thought it was about me finding success. I thought I was preserving my life. If I stepped into the fight of the kingdom of heaven, would I fail? That was always my question. Could I really do it? And maybe you've asked the same question. If I try to salvage that relationship, I messed up, will they forgive me? If I try to personally sit down to read the Bible with my kids, will I really have the answers for them? If I try to share Jesus with my neighbor, will they actually listen? If I pray with that friend who just got diagnosed with cancer, will they really get healed? And we start grappling with these questions of, yes, Lord, like, I see the fight. I get it, the kingdom of heaven on earth. But if I step in, will it count? it's that same moment that John has in that jail cell, will it count? Will it make a difference? Will it really matter if I step into, the, yeah, sure, Pastor Cam steps into the fight. Pastor Dustin steps into the fight. Yeah, sure, those, those people leading worship, Ben and Jaylee, they step in, but if I step into the fight, does it matter? Does it make a difference? But this is what he says. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's our promise. Our promise right there is that if we'll step in, if we will take hold, take it by force, he promises he will take care of us. He promises that if we get in the fight, he'll take care of the rest. If we will work with him to bring his kingdom to earth, he will take care of us. And that is where it finally clicked for me when I realized it wasn't about me preserving my life. It wasn't about me trying to find rest and trying to find the strength and dredge it up so I can get in the fight like I'm supposed to do and do all the things I'm supposed to do. But it clicked for me when I realized that as I stepped, As I come, as I take, as I learn, he'll take care of me, that he'll take care of my life. He'll take care of the questions I can't answer. He'll take care of the anxiety that sometimes I can't face. He'll take care of the situations that I can't fix. Suddenly it changed for me when I realized I could win. When I realized that jumping in the fight wasn't about saving myself, but giving myself fully. That I can't fail in. I can lay it down. That I can do. And he promises he'll take care of the rest. The rest of Matthew 11, 28, 30, it says, come to me, remember our command, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And then the promise, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I just see this picture of John sitting in his jail cell and he's weary like we talked about. And the fight has really broken him. I just see a picture of a man who's been sitting there for two years thinking, did I do it right? Was it enough? And he knows, he knows death is coming. He knows that it'll be any time. He knows it's not gonna be sitting in that jail cell forever, but he's wondering, is it enough? And I love that Jesus, in his compassion, in his kindness, like the scripture says, he's gentle and humble in heart. And he leaves this message as his, John's disciples are trailing off to make sure that John hears, John, you did it right. You did it. And now, now the rest is on me. John, you did what you needed to do. Now the rest is on me. And I think it's just a good call to us. Step into the fight. Stop worrying about preserving my own life and what the American dream might be and how my family's gonna see me and what my neighbors are really gonna think or my coworkers if I try to pray for them. or talk. Stop thinking about that and just remember that it's on him. The rest is on him. And don't you see John just putting his head back in relief and validation. And I think if John could talk to you in that moment, he would say it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth the ride. It was worth what it took. And it wasn't very long after that John was beheaded. But I think that what we see here is John, a picture of losing his own life. He literally lost his life. And then he literally entered in to God's rest. He entered into an eternal rest that counted more than anything he would face or handle here on earth. Sometimes we just have it wrong. We're looking for the peace. We're looking for the strength here on earth. But God says, no matter what happens here, I can promise that you will have it in what really counts. I can promise that it will really be yours when the time is up and it matters. Maybe you've been counting the cost, trying to decide if it's worth risking some failure or embarrassment, or inadequacy? Let John's wild, bold, fighting spirit remind you that choosing to come, to take, and to learn is well worth the risk. Jesus calls to us through the scripture, will you, like John, step up to take a hold of the kingdom, to bring the power and strength and miracles available to the world around you? Will you take it by force and trust me with the rest? Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.